All right, good morning. Sorry about that. Taking care of a housekeeping item real quick. It is good to see you all this morning. How is everybody doing? Mm-hmm. Let me go ahead and tell you. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Clearly, some of y'all didn't have a very good cup of coffee this morning or hot tea. I'm sorry. I don't know what happens in your house. Uh, but anyway, it is good to see you all. Glad that you're here. Glad that you are with us. I am excited about being here, being in the house of the Lord, prepared to uh, worship him. I hope you are as well. Uh, today is a good day uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Clearly, some of you, I look around the room, helped out with VBS this past week. Uh, I do see some tired eyes out there. I think I see some other tired eyes because many of you are probably like me, staying up late watching the Olympics. Um, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I can't do the replays at night at 8 o'clock. Uh, because by the time I get home in the afternoon, somebody's already posted who won, and that's driving me insane. And so I've been staying up late in the evening watching live uh, so I could see for myself who wins. Uh, but other than that, you know, I try to stay as far away from it. So clearly some of you have been doing the same thing I'm doing, and uh, you're coming in and looking kind of exhausted today. But anyway, it is good to see you, good to have you here. I'm thankful that you're here. I do want to acknowledge that this past week has been a great week of VBS uh, so a very special thank you to all of our workers, our volunteers. Um, thank you to uh, Brianna and her team for how they faithfully led uh, this past week. Uh, special thank you to all of you who maybe you weren't here, you prayed for us. Thank you for that. Uh, man, this week couldn't have happened uh, without you. So I'm thankful for the children that were here, our teachers, uh, the assistants, the recreation, even our security, man. It was just a phenomenal week to be here um, at Southside Baptist Church with VBS. I think we averaged over 50 kids every night, uh, which was huge praise God. But I think one of the bigger blessings is the one that you can actually see on stage on either side of me. Um, what you see before you are school supplies that are being donated on behalf of Southside Baptist Church to Brooker Elementary School. And so our teachers are fixing to be blessed with these supplies. I know it's something they're excited about. We're going to be taking those this week. And I know what you're looking at looks like some really full bins. I assure you they go from top to bottom with school supplies. And I think we raised uh, almost 700 supplies uh, to be given to our teachers at Brooker Elementary School. So that's something that we're excited about, praising God about, praising God for the open door there to continue to share the gospel uh, with the local school. Now with that, um, I do want to share with you this morning that those supplies came at a great cost uh, this past week as I tried to plead with you all last week to give supplies, uh, particularly to the Boys Bend. Some of you responded well to that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness and your love for God will clearly be, report, will be reported in heaven as you sincerely and faithfully sought to honor your pastor. As for the rest of you heathen who gave to the girls, shame upon your home. Shame. In fact, I'm thankful for Reagan who came up here and, uh, and shared the word. She is starting a new hashtag line this week, Justice for Johnny. And so we are going to initiate that plan beginning this week. Uh, see Reagan for T-shirts, buttons, and all things to support uh, the pastor. Uh, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, as nice as it was to see missions supported through giving through Brooker Elementary, what was nice, not nice was constantly finding dirt and uh, worm guts coming out of your hair. Um, that was not a pleasant experience, but hey, all for the glory of God. Either way, it was a good week, and so I'm thankful for those of you who are with us. Uh, well, this morning, we are going to be in Third John. We are wrapping up our series through the epistles of John. This is our series that we've called Abiding Light, and as we wrap up this series together, I hope and pray that 
Um, this series for you has been a source of joy. It's been a source of encouragement for you um, as it has been for me. Now, this particular morning, um, we're going to see John share one more time with the believers that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are now called to reflect both his love but also his service towards one another. So before we jump into this text, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever given much thought today about the fact that you were constantly being watched? I mean, just think about that for a moment, okay? I mean, just think you were constantly being watched. I mean, it's amazing to me right now to know, and again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but it is amazing to me to know that if I'm having a conversation with someone about a certain product, it's amazing to me how all of a sudden I'll see an ad for that particular product on my social media. Now, is that by coincidence? I don't think so. I think we're being listened to. Kind of sounds creepy, doesn't it? Sounds creepy to think that we're being listened to and, and creepy to think that being, we're being watched. But what I'm talking about this morning has absolutely nothing to do with social media. You see, when we, when we all of a sudden are talking and, and, and we're talking about who's watching us and who's listening to us, what I'm talking about this morning are the people who are around us. You see, people are always watching us. People are always listening to us, especially those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't believe me that people are watching you, then please understand this. As your pastor, I want to confess to you this morning that one of my favorite activities is to go to very public places, very crowded places. And I know some of you who are like, ah, COVID, don't worry, I'm socially distanced. I like to sit there with a cup of coffee and just listen to people. I'm not engaged in their conversation. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I just listen to them and I watch them. Kind of creepy, right? I know I get it, but I'm okay with that as long as you are. But the reality is we are all being watched, especially those of us who are Christians. Now, why are Christians being watched? Well, the reality is it's because people around us are simply curious. They want to know what makes us tick. They want to know more about us. I think people watch us because they want to see what makes us different and then determine whether or not that difference is enough for them to realize that what it is that we have is something that they absolutely need. I believe people watch us because they may be looking to see what happens when we fall. They may be looking to see what happens when we fall and then how we respond to that fall. Now, again, I can think of no better example of what it means to be watched than to think about my kids, especially when my kids were younger. You see, it's amazing how much your children watch you. It's amazing how much to think uh, and watch how your children mimic your every word and mimic your every action. In fact, my six-year-old, who my family's not with us, they're in Dothan, Alabama, visiting with uh, my uh, my wife's father and, and their family this week. And so um, when I'm thinking about this, I think about my youngest, Skylar, who's currently six right now. And I've learned about Skylar that if I say or do anything, she is quick to hear it and then repeat it without hesitation. So I've learned that I have to be careful about what it is that I say around her. I have to be careful about how it is uh, or what it is that I do around her. I have to be careful about how I respond to certain situations because I know that uh, Skylar will always respond in the same way. In fact, we're coming up on football season and uh, Brother Rick and I were already talking about that and I've quickly realized over the past couple years that the way I am coaching my favorite team through the TV Maybe something I need to keep a close eye on because I've noticed Skylar has picked up the same thing. All that to say, she's going to be a good football coach one day. Okay? But I've learned that I have to be careful 
in what I'm saying. I have to be careful in what I am doing. You see, as cute as it is, there comes a great sense of weight and responsibility as a parent and as an adult. And so the fact that we're being watched, the fact that we're being listened to should serve as a reminder for all of us that as believers in Christ, we are now the ones who are called to set the example. Now, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this point. He says, remember, it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend. You see, if you think about it this way, what what people may know about Jesus Christ, what they may first learn and understand about Jesus Christ will first be seen in their listening and their watching of us. I mean, no pressure, right? Before we even get an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, before we ever get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, the very first encounter with Jesus Christ that they may ever have will be what it is that they first see, learn, and hear from us. So as we look to our text this morning in 3 John, John is going to show us that as workers for the truth, There is a way that we now ought to live, knowing that we are the ones who are setting the example as we are the ones who are now being watched. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to 3 John. And once you have found your place, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is John writing to the church here in 3 John. He writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." I have written something to the, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put, who uh, stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this morning. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have today just to be able to, just to spend a few moments focused on your word. Father, we praise you for the opportunities we've already had now to to sing your word, to hear your word spoken, to pray your word. And Father, in the next few moments together, we pray that as we open your truth, God, help us to gain an understanding, a better understanding of who you are and who we now are in you. God, you have called for all believers to be workers for the truth. And so, Father, I pray that as we unpack Third John together, help us to see our place in the call that you've given to each of us. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you, God, that you know us by name, that it was you who called us to yourself. And so, Father, by your grace, I pray that in the next few moments that you and you alone would be glorified. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as we look again at 3 John and as we wrap up this series, I want to remind you that many scholars upon looking at 3 John have called this letter a postcard epistle, seeing as how it only contains 219 Greek words. Again, we see John opening this letter by calling himself the elder. Now, this is the same title he gave himself in 2 John. Again, I want to remind you that he's not referring to himself as an elder by age, but rather he's referring to himself as an elder based upon his courage, based upon his commitment to God, and his convictions that are based upon the word of God. So as an elder, and I want you to hear this when it comes to elders within the church, his authority is rooted in spiritual maturity, both in knowledge and action. Now we clearly see that John is writing to a man named Gaius, or Gaius, if you will. And like we said last week, this letter was probably written sometime between AD 80 and AD 95. So again, if you're doing the timeline, 3 John, like 2 John, would have fallen sometime after Patmos, thus making this the very last book ever to be written in the New Testament. And so as we look to this letter... We're going to see that this letter deals specifically with Christians and our call to set the example in love. In this letter, we're going to see some items that we should be doing as workers for the truth, but at the same time, we're going to be seeing some characteristics that we should avoid based on the individuals that John now mentions in his letter. You see, in order to be a worker for the truth, our lives have to be centered on Jesus Christ. In order to be workers for the truth, we have to show a godly example in how we love one another. And so the question that we're going to tackle today is, does my life bring praise to Jesus Christ, my Lord? So this morning, we're going to be learning of the qualities and the characteristics of what it means to be a worker for the truth. And we're going to look particularly at six statements as recorded by John. 
You see, our first statement we will see is that a worker for the truth will live a healthy spiritual life. We see this back in verses 1 and 2. Now again, this letter opens with us learning a little bit about Gaius. Clearly he is referred to by John as beloved in our text. Your translation may say dear friend, but either way we see this title given to Gaius at least four times in this letter. So for John, clearly he has a deep and heartfelt love for this particular brother. Now again, we don't know exactly who Gaius is, as this was actually a common name that is found with several different men in the New Testament. But what we do know is that John is praying for him, and not just a a one-and-done prayer, but when you read it in the Greek, it's a continual act. In other words, John is uh, continually praying for this particular church and continually praying for this particular leader, and what he is praying is is that Gaius may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Notice what John is praying for this brother. He is praying that this brother would have a a clean bill of health when it comes to his own spiritual walk. You see, clearly, Gaius was suffering through something. We don't know what the something is. It could have been a a physical condition. It could have been a physical ailment. It could have been attacks from outside the church. It could have been attacks from within the church. One way or another, we know that this brother was suffering. And so John was praying for him to continue to be healthy in his walk with Christ. Now I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Just take stock of what it is that John is praying for. I mean, how different would we look as Christians if we spent time praying for one another's spiritual health? I mean, think about that for a moment. Maybe before you have a conversation with someone, maybe after someone has called you or after someone has emailed you or after someone has reached out to you, do you take time to pray for their spiritual health? Maybe you have a brother or a sister who has encouraged you recently. Maybe you have a brother or a sister who has wronged you for whatever reason. Do you you then pray curses upon them or do you begin to speak truth and edification back in their life and pray for God to continue to grow their walk between them and him so that your faith can continue to grow together? You see, how differently would we look as a church if we prayed for one another's spiritual health. And again, I want to clarify, I'm not saying when a brother wrongs you, okay? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about when brothers and sisters collectively gang up on you just to dump worms on your head. That is not the mind. I'm, I'm a little bitter about this, by the way. Not really, I'm okay. It's fine, it was a good cause. I'm not talking about in that moment you all of a sudden pray, Lord, God, I pray that you grab hold of this brother's heart, and if you can't, then just maliciously beat him with your word. That's not what I'm talking about here. Rather, what I'm talking about is when a brother or sister wrongs you, you say, God, Father, I pray that this person is continually walking with you. I pray that this individual is continually finding themselves in your word, and if they're not, Father, pierce their hearts for that. You see, I can't help but wonder what more we could accomplish if all of a sudden we were spiritually healthy people. 
I can't help but wonder what more we could accomplish as Christians in our society if our souls were actually healthy. I mean, imagine what more we could do for the gospel of Jesus Christ if we not only prayed for the physical ailments of others, but we also now prayed for their spiritual walk, that they would continue to be healthy in their walk and continue to grow in their faith. You see, here's the reality that we all understand today, but we rarely talk about. Every one of us at some point will deal with burnout. Whether you deal with it within your own life or whether it happens in the life of a coworker or your spouse or your friend or dare I say even our children, we will all deal with burnout. There will come a time where we will get to our wit's end. In fact, if you've been paying attention at all this past week, we've already seen how some of our heroes this week have now cracked under the pressure. And so what we have learned that even the strongest people among us still need our prayers. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that we would be a people who continually pray for one another and not just pray for anything and everything, but rather we would pray that each one of us would be found and remain in good spiritual health. You see, the reality is as workers for the truth, man, we're only gonna go as far as our spiritual walk takes us. And if we're not growing, we're dying. So how are we now praying for one another? From there, John moves into verse three and four, and we see our second statement this morning. We see that John tells us as workers for the truth, we are now called to walk in the truth. You see, this characteristic that we see in verses three and four is actually a characteristic that's clearly tied to living a healthy spiritual life. You see, in order to to live and have a healthy spiritual life, you also have to be a person who walks in the truth according to the word of God. And so John says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. You see, John was praising God in this moment as brothers came to him and told him about how Gaius was doing a work that was worthy of the call that had been placed on his life, both in doctrine, but also in deed. You see, Gaius was now leading brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to continue to further their walk with Christ, and therefore they were now praising the work that was being done by this man. Clearly, he was a brother who was faithfully declaring the truth, and not only faithfully declaring it, but he was now faithfully walking in the truth. In other words, he wasn't just teaching it, but rather he was living out the example of what it was that he was now teaching. Now again, I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this point in verse 3 and 4 in speaking to pastors and teachers. He says this, he says, No minister ought to be at rest unless he sees that his ministry brings forth fruit. And men and women are born unto God by the preaching of the word. So you see, whether as a a leader or whether as a teacher or a pastor or an elder or a missionary, we are now being called to make spiritual children. We are now being called to grow up like-minded believers, both within our homes, but also to the nations. You see, let me say this clearly so we don't miss it. 
We do not sit in a position today to neglect one over the other. Both the sharing of our gospel within our homes and within our communities is just as vital as now taking the work to the nations and making Jesus Christ known to the nations. So you see, coming back to our text today, by speaking of walking in the truth, John now reminds us that people can't nor may never see your heart, but rather they will always see your life. And so since our heart is a reflection of our life, what is it that people are seeing about us? You see, as believers, we are called to walk. We are called to live out the gospel truth that is found within us by the grace that we now have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, I want to remind you of everything that John has said up until this point. Going back to 1 John and then, and then in 2 John, as we abide in Jesus Christ, as we grow in Christ, we will bear fruit as we make Christ known both within our homes but also to the nations. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, how are we doing when it comes to walking in the truth? How are we then doing as we walk in the truth? How are we now doing to allow that truth to impact those who come into our homes, but then to impact those who now live around us? You see, I was having this same conversation with one of our ministry teams uh, about a week or two ago, and man, I think this was a good thing for us to remember because we talked about this collectively together. And this is what we said. We said, as believers in Christ, we are called to walk in truth in our homes. We are called to live truth for our neighbors. We are called to then take the truth to the nations. And my prayer is that that would be our heart's cry today at Southside Baptist Church. We move from there and we get to the third statement that John makes. He says, as workers for the truth... We are to support the work generously. We see this again in verses 7 and 8. Now here is the call for us to support the work of the ministry and to support those who are now being sent out. Now again, I want to add a footnote here because I want you to pay careful attention. Here is the only passages in our text in 3 John that actually mention the Lord Jesus in this entire letter. So when you look at this text, we now see that our own have gone out. And notice what John says about these missionaries who have gone out. He says that they have accepted nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they didn't go out and all of a sudden win the accolades of the world. All of a sudden, they didn't go out seeking to, to win the affirmations of the world. Therefore, they didn't receive any support from the pagans. And they didn't receive any support from those who do not believe. Because they recognized that the gospel message that they were sharing. They recognized that the Jesus Christ that they were teaching upon was counter culture to what the world believes. And so John says to them, we ought to support people like these. And then he gives us the why so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, don't miss what John is telling the local church today. He's telling us that, that not all of us may be able to physically go. 
But when they do go, when we send out people from amongst our midst, then we can join them in their work as we support them in their work. Do you understand this is why we give to the local church? It's to support the local mission as well as the mission that, has, that God has called us to, to share the gospel to the nations. Now again, I recognize there may be some of you in this room who may scoff at that point at this moment. You may look around and go, well, who have we sent out recently? Why are we not going to the nations right now? And I want to ask you, have you seen how hard it is to currently get out of our country? If you don't believe me, look at how hard it is to get out of our state, man. We can't get out of Florida. Why? Because everybody's coming to Florida. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of people that we have in our state right now. So as a church, we have a biblical responsibility to share the gospel with those who are here. But at the same time, as doors continue to open, as they begin to open, we need to be prepared as a church to send out missionaries from within our midst to the ends of the earth so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be proclaimed. You see, here's the reality. In the past few years, before COVID, we sent a team to New Orleans. And what did they do? They shared the gospel. They shared the gospel with homeless people. They shared the gospel through a local church plant and with their neighbors. Recently, we had two that went out to the Middle East. What did they do? They didn't vacation. I'm gonna go and tell you, there's nothing vacationing about being in the sand, okay? They went and they shared the gospel. They went and told people about Jesus, For those of you who may think, well, when are we going to do some more missions? Man, I want to go ahead and tell you, we're looking at opportunities now. We're looking at opportunities all across the United States right now. We're praying about those opportunities. We're praying about international opportunities. We're praying about places that that God may have us to go, that God may want us to go. And when the doors open for us to be able to go, let me go ahead and tell you, we're not going to hesitate. We're going to go. We're looking at places that are local. We're looking at our, our partnership with Brooker Elementary. We're looking at going to places like Boston, Massachusetts. I'm not sure anybody's going to be left in Boston by the time we get there. It seems that they're all coming to Florida, but we're going to go. We're looking at possibilities of of, of Europe and Western Europe, sending the gospel there, places like Scotland or or maybe Amsterdam or, or Germany, places where the Reformation began. And now all of a sudden when you go visit churches over there, you're not visiting a church anymore. You're visiting a museum. We're looking at places in the Middle East. We're looking at places in Asia. Why? Because we understand the command to go and make disciples among the nations. Now, I'm not saying all this to to make this a rallying cry to to let's mobilize everybody in the church and let's go because here's the reality. I know that there there are many among us who may not be able to go. I understand that. I recognize that. I recognize that there are a few of you today who if I were to end the sermon right here, you'd come to me after church and say, Pastor, I am physically unable to go. And you may be right. And I believe that you're right. However, I want you to understand this. You may not be able to go, but you can pray. Everybody may not be able to go, but everyone can definitely pray. Everyone may not be able to go, but you can definitely give. You can, you can support the work of missions. 
You see, here's the reality. Whether you go, whether you can't, whether you don't, the reality is this. All of us are essential to the work of God. So do not downplay your part in advancing the mission of God. You see, there is no limit to what can be done as we continue to multiply those who are being called and those that we are now sending out. So let's all do our part in advancing the gospel. You see, at this point, we need to ask ourselves, man, who are we sending? We need to ask ourselves at this point, as we begin to find doors that open up, who amongst us is ready to go? How have we prepared ourselves to send people out? And better yet, how are we prepared to support the work that is being done and to do so generously? Because the question we need to ask ourselves this morning too is this, when it comes to giving to God, whether it's our finances, whether it's our resources, whether it's our time, are we giving God our first fruits or is God getting our leftovers? Now, again, I'm gonna go ahead and say this, and I understand this is a a contextual thing when it comes to the United States of America, but here's the reality. I am quite confident that if Jesus was to text message you right now and say, hey, good news, I'm coming to your home, I promise you, I promise you, in that moment, you're either ordering the best meal you can or you are asking someone to come over and cook the greatest meal they've ever heard of. What you're not doing is serving Jesus Christ leftovers. What you're not doing is serving Jesus cold pizza. Now again, if cold pizza is the best that you have to offer, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I mean, I'm gonna go ahead and be honest, my family's out of town right now, cold pizza is the best thing in my house. You come to my house, you're having cold pizza today, okay? And I'm okay with that, I like it. So my question is this, if all of a sudden we knew Jesus was coming into our home and that would change who we are, then my question is this, when we come into the house of God, when we come into the place that represents the victory that that can be found in Jesus Christ, my question is this, why are we not giving God our first fruits? Why are we giving God our leftovers? Why do we come dragging into the church? as opposed to being excited about worship and excited about the opportunities we have to go and make him known. This leads to the fourth statement that we see from John. John tells us that as workers for the truth, we are called to keep our eyes on Jesus. We see this in verses nine and 10. Now by eyes, I literally mean focus. So here in the text, John is going to really take an unexpected turn by describing to us a harmful leader and what happens when the focus is now no longer on Jesus Christ. And so John introduces us to a man named Diotrephes, who is the opposite of Gaius. You see, Diotrephes loves himself. Diotrephes wants to be the boss of the church. He wants to be the man seated upon the throne. He wants to uh, cause harm in the church and destroy the church in order to maintain his own power and his own agenda. And so as we read these verses, we need to hear the rebuke from John to be reminded of what can happen when we ourselves take our eyes off of Jesus. We learn from John that this man likes to put himself first according to the text. Now pay attention here because here with Diotrephes, we're not seeing a man that has an issue with doctrine. 
Rather, we have a man who has a personal pride issue. And so Diotrephes desires to hold the place that is only reserved for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now pay attention to this, because here's the reality. It doesn't matter what your passion is for the church. It doesn't matter how many books you've read or what schools you've attended. It doesn't matter how well you think you've got some doctrines nailed down. It doesn't matter how clear your doctrine is. It doesn't matter if your doctrine is correct or not. If your heart is seeking to be number one, then you are not right with Jesus. And at that point, man, where are you supposed to be? Because the reality is, if we get all the doctrine in the world right, but our heart is not focused on Jesus Christ being the center of our life, then your life, according to John, is out of order. Man, I love how one scholar put it. He said it this way. He said, having John Owen on your shelf or having right theology does not make you Jesus Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, and he, being Christ, is the head of the body, which is the church. You see, Jesus has to be first above all because Jesus is first above all. It is not us. Coming back to our text, John continues. He says, Diotrephes does not acknowledge our authority. You see, we learn that Diotrephes in his own pride was no longer welcoming, was no longer receiving or supporting missionaries. And so for John, this became unacceptable because Diotrephes was not living the call of what it meant to be a worker for the truth. And so by the time we get to verse 10, John now tells us that he will confront Diotrephes because he is talking wicked nonsense against us. You see, this worker was now lying about John and lying about the other missionaries. And so now he was trying to slander them due to his own personal wicked intent. And so we at this point need to be careful of what it is that John is saying here because we need to be careful when people talk to us about others. You see, when somebody comes to us and they want to vent to us, the reality is, listen to them, but be careful before you agree with them. Make sure that what it is that you're hearing, they've already spoken to the other person. In fact, I would encourage you at this point, when someone is, is venting to you about another person, ask the question, is what they are saying true of the person? If you want to, then ask that person, have you confronted the person with which you are now talking about? And if they have not, then shut the conversation down by calling them to practice Matthew 18 and now go and talk to the other person. You see, this is one thing. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give you a free counseling session right now, okay? And if, and if Aaron Smith were here, she would affirm what I'm about to tell you, all right? If you were to walk into my office for a counseling session, and you wanted to, to badmouth someone who's a member of our church, and you wanted to vent, I'm going to let you talk for a little bit, okay? Because everybody needs to vent. Everybody needs to punch something, okay? It almost got to a point where one of my favorite pastors I've ever worked with, he told me, he said, there are two things I wish I had in my office beyond the Bible. And I said, what? He said, a baseball bat and boxing gloves. And I was like, what's the boxing gloves for? He said, so people can just punch the wall and get it out of their system. And I said, what's the bat for? He said, I'd put grace and mercy on it and smack them with it because they need it. 
I was like, man, that's an interesting way to look at life. I'm not going to do that. You're probably going to get fired. But here's the reality. When you come into my office, I'm going to let you vent for a little bit, but here's the truth. My first question to you is going to be this. Have you talked to the person that you're talking about? And if your answer is no, guess what? Hey, thanks for talking to me. Can I pray with you? Because you need to go talk to them. If your answer is yes, you know what my response is going to be? Some of you know this already. Okay, well, let's all get together and talk about it together. Why? Because I believe in peace. Because I believe in unity according to the word. Because that's what we are called to. We're not called to live in wicked nonsense. We're called to live in unity together. You see, if you ask this person, hey, have you talked to that other person that you're venting about that you're upset with? And they say to you, well, no, not yet. Then you say, okay, well, I'm going to encourage you to do that because that's what Matthew 18 calls us to. If a brother has sinned against you, go directly to your brother. That's what it says. Same thing applies if you're just upset with someone, go directly to your brother. If they say no, they haven't, and then you say, well, then why don't you do that? And then you find out that they are unwilling, then I want you to hear what John's saying at this point. John is saying this. He's saying, know that if they are unwilling at this point, then know what it is that you're hearing is not of God, and therefore it's not a characteristic of a person who's working for the truth. And so John says, don't give an ear to it. We continue on our text, and man, we see the snowball effect of not staying focused on Jesus. Because the next thing we see is Diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Man, did you hear that from John? John just said, this church leader was not only stopping the support of missionaries, but now he was kicking people out of the church who wanted to support the work of these missionaries. You see, when we lose sight of Jesus Christ, when our focus is no longer on Jesus, when we take the focus off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves, our motives, our decisions, our words, and our actions can now all be called into question. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we focused on Jesus Christ? You want to know the answer to that question? Replay your conversations this week and ask, how were my words? Did I speak encouragement? Did I speak edification? Did I speak truth when truth was necessary and needed? Maybe a follow-up question would be this. Man, you want to know if you're focused on Jesus Christ, how are your actions? What What do your actions look like this morning? Do those actions point people to Jesus Christ? Do they they show our support for fellow workers? Or have our actions this past week shown that the only thing we care about is ourselves? Because, man, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there's a lot of churches right now, and we're not immune to it, where there are people among us who simply care about themselves, and they do not care about the work of Jesus Christ. And so I'm calling all of us to examine our own hearts and ask, is Jesus Christ seated upon the throne or am I trying to take it from him? And then with that, let's examine our actions and our words together. This brings John to his fifth statement where he says a worker for the truth will live by godly example with a good testimony. 
We see this in verses 11 and 12. Now, John here is going to turn his attention back to another good worker by sharing with us about a man named Demetrius. Now, before he gets there, John opens by saying, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And so here is a word that now calls for continuous action. It's a continual doing good, looking for good, seeking good. Now again, don't miss what John's saying here, okay? He's not saying that your works are going to save you, but rather because of your salvation in Jesus Christ, because you recognize what Christ has done for you, you now desire to do good for the glory of God. So John tells us when we mimic that which is good, it reveals clear evidence that we now belong to God. So John is literally telling us this morning, he's like, look, if you're going to imitate anyone, then let that person be Jesus Christ. As men and women of the world, of the word, we need to live godly examples so that younger generations, so that our children will seek to mimic the faith that we now have and that we strive to grow in. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would strive to be the example, that we would strive to to set the example for the next generation to follow, both in knowledge, but also in our actions. It's at this point in our text, we learn of a man named Demetrius, who, according to John, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. You see, this man was found to be a man of integrity and a man of godliness. He was a man who lived his life above reproach and above questioning. So clearly, Demetrius walked with God. He studied the word of God. He loved Jesus and he loved all people. Therefore, John says of him, this man's testimony is true. And so John here is calling the believers to be like this man as he is a godly example to follow. And so again, we need to ask ourselves with this point, when our lives are examined, can it be said of us that our testimony is true and thus our example is one to be followed? I mean, think about that for a moment. What can be said of us? What can be said of our faith? I'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you. My wife and I were actually having this conversation right before she went out of town. And we were talking about this. We were like, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're getting older. It's just happening, it's life. Some of you are looking at me and giggling. I, I get it, Paul looks at me and laughs because now I'm at Paul's status. We're the elder elders in the room with the elder council. And I've embraced that, I'm okay with that. I got a lot more white coming in right now and I'm not changing that. I'm just gonna let that happen, dude. I'm embracing, I love it, it's great. I feel like it gives me a license to do more. Steve, I don't know why you're looking back. You know what I'm talking about. Steve's trying to get me in trouble over here. You see this, this is what they do. One day I wanna be like that, right? We were talking about, man, what do you want people to remember you for? And I told my wife, I said, listen, here's the deal. Man, I hope, I hope when my time comes, I hope it comes way before yours. I really do. I hope it does. And I really hope that when that day comes, whether you have a funeral service or not, whether it's just my family or 500 people, I don't care. That won't matter because I'm with Jesus. No offense. I love everybody in this room, but really I'm with Jesus. I'm not worried about it at this point, okay? And I'm not, she was like, well, what do we put on your tombstone? Anything special? I said, no, you don't have to put, don't even worry about putting the date I was born and the day I died. Don't, don't worry about that. Just put my name, here's Johnny, and then just say this, because it's the one thing I want said of me. He was a faithful worker of God. Man, that's all I want to be remembered for. He was a faithful worker for God. 
Why? Because to me, that's all that matters. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I don't always get it right, man. If my family were here, they would tell you. That's why I'm confessing this to you now so I don't have to look at the front row and get the nod of affirmation that I get from my daughters, okay? I don't always get it right. Some of you are nodding at me. I don't need you to take the place of my children right now. Stop. I don't always get it right. None of us are gonna always get it right. But we can all be faithful. And my hope and my prayer, not only for my children, but for the people that I come in contact with, my hope and my prayer is that when people look at me, they say, man, that is a faithful man of God. I can learn something from him. I want to learn something from him. I just want to point people to Jesus. That's my ultimate goal. And that's my prayer for each one of us. From there, we move to what will become John's sixth and final statement for us this morning. John tells us that as workers for truth, we should desire fellowship and peace with other believers. We see this in verses 12 and 13. So as John closes his letter, notice what John does. John brings us back to the simple fact that a heart of love and compassion should continue to shine brightly in the life of every believer. We see here in the text that John longs to see Gaius and talk face to face with him. John wants to see his friends again. John desires to be a part of the local church. And and yes, John is ready to get back and, and call out what is bad that goes against the word of God. He has no problem with that. But notice what John says again. He says that this is something that cannot be done with just pen and paper, but rather I'm ready to talk to you face to face. Again, John is reminding us, as he did with 2 John, of the innate need and desire that we have to be in fellowship with one another. Now, I want you to hear that. I want you to read that again. I want you this week and next week and the week after that because here's the reality. I don't know what's gonna happen with COVID at this point, okay? None of us do. We're just making it up at this point. It is crazy. Like I was literally watching the news last night because you, the Olympics take a break and you get news. And I'm like, I don't know why they're taking a break. I don't need a break. Let's keep going. But I get it. Time change, all that jazz. They get a break. We get local news. And here's what we see. Man, we see COVID cases going up. Several of you guys have already called me and emailed me this week and said, hey, pastor, have you noticed our COVID cases are going up? Yes, I have. I promise you that when I get done on the pulpit on Sunday mornings, I don't now go to my home, get under a cover and stay there until the next Sunday. That's not how I operate, okay? I see that the COVID cases are going up. I even saw last night how somehow Florida is now so cool that we created our own variant of COVID, of COVID. I mean, think about that for a moment. We're not just winning the Stanley Cup. We're not just competitive in baseball. We're not winning in Super Bowls. We're gonna give you our own version of COVID now. Like how awesome is Florida? Like that's taking Champa Bay to a whole new level in my opinion. Like we need to stop. I mean, we need to give other states an opportunity. Okay, let's let Georgia win something. That's a shameless plug for my home state, by the way. Let's let them win something, okay? Let's send them some love. I'm saying all that to say, man, I don't know what the days hold for us, okay? We could be weeks or a month away from all of a sudden our governor saying, and yes, he can back off what he said, okay? He's allowed to do that. He may come back and say, you know what? This is getting too bad. We need to shut everything down. And you know what? That's well within his right to do so. 
And at that point, your leaders, you have to trust your leaders in the church. We're gonna make the decision that we believe is best for Southside Baptist Church and the one that will glorify God. But here's the reality. If we're called to shut down again, I think at this moment, we're in a better position to handle that than we did the first time, okay? We still have gospel communities. We still have ways to connect. And if we have to, we'll go back to an online service again. We can totally do that and we know how to make that work. We have figured that out. But I want you to understand something this morning. Online church can never meet the need or the longing for togetherness that the local church can. And I'm gonna go ahead and admit this. There are a lot of great preachers that you can listen to online. There are a lot of them. I listen to them as well. There are guys who I believe, and I'm not trying to put myself down here, there are guys that I believe could probably preach circles around me, and guess what? I'm okay with that. I understand that there's a lot of dudes that you can click up on YouTube, and you can watch them, and they probably look more pleasant than I do. I understand that, okay? This face was made for radio. I get it, okay? I understand all of that. But again, I want to remind you that the online church cannot provide the personal touch and the connection that can only be found within the local church. So no matter what happens, as we are gathered or if we have to scatter again for whatever reason, let's stay connected as a local church. Again, I want to remind you, as we saw last week, a text, an email, a letter, although good, are poor substitutes for personal interaction. So you see, as believers today, we cannot neglect meeting regularly with the body of believers. So let me encourage you this morning, get involved, get connected, because your church needs it and you need it too. We need this. Man, don't miss the opportunity that we have before us to gather. Now, coming back to our text, John's gonna close with a blessing this morning. He says the word peace. He blesses with peace. You see, with all of the confusion being caused within the church in John's day, John now prays a blessing over them. And he says, man, I am praying peace for all of you because peace is what is needed. He then goes on to say, the friends greet you. Now, again, this probably would have more than likely been another fellowship of believers that affirms what it is that John is teaching. But what I want you to notice here is this might be one of the only places in the New Testament where the believers are called friends to one another, and they're called to greet one another as friends. Now, this is significant because I can't help but wonder if John was thinking of John 15, 13 at that moment. Now, granted, he probably didn't know a chapter and a number by that point, but I can't help but imagine if he was thinking of his gospel where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. John then gives us his final words and he says, greet the friends. And then notice what he says, each by name. I don't know how you take notes in your Bible, but I would probably underline that phrase, each by name, highlight it, whatever you do. If you journal, write that phrase down. Greet the friends each by name because I don't want you to miss what John is saying. John here is now calling for the believers to love one another. 
He's calling them to care for one another both individually and corporately. Notice what he's doing here. He's not telling the believers, hey, focus on your people group alone, but rather focus on each person within the church because to do so cultivates a good reputation. To do so now brings praise and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. You see, if John were here today, And we were to ask John, John, well, what about our people group? Why doesn't our people group get this? Why why can't our people group do that? Why can't, well, what about our people? What about people in our demographic? What about them? John would say to you, look, I hear you, but you're missing the point. You see, in Jesus Christ, there is only one group. It is those who call upon Jesus as Lord. And so for our group, Our group is now called to glorify God through loving one another and through serving one another. You see, as those abiding in Christ, we have to ask ourselves now at this point, how are we doing at loving one another? How are we doing at at serving one another? When we look back at 3 John, we have to ask the questions again, do we desire fellowship Do we live a godly example? Are we focused on Jesus Christ? Do we support the work of missions, both local and to the nations? Do we walk in truth? And are we spiritually healthy? You see, the answers to these questions will determine where we are. The answers to those questions will reveal whether or not we are workers for the truth. So the question that we're left with again What type of worker are we? And are we someone who can be followed? Man, my prayer for us as a church is that we would be faithful workers for the truth, that we would set the example for others to follow, that we would serve one another, that we would love well, and through it all, we would give God all the praise and glory for what he has done, for what he will do, and what he is doing. Praise God. Let's pray together.